Thanks for pressing play. The people who have the most legendary careers are what you might uh, think of as other directed. The key to a successful life is to remove your joy blockers. And the goal of a career should be to, as Warren Buffett says, dance your way to work. All of these ideas come from our guest today, David Novak. And David is the uh, uh, co-founder and was the CEO for 17 years of the legendary Yum! Brands. And Yum! is the world's largest restaurant company. You see, as you may know, Yum! Brands is the owner of Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, Taco Bell, and uh, many others. David also has a great podcast called How Leaders Lead and a brand new book out that is fantastic called Take Charge of You, How Self-Coaching Can Transform Your Life and Your Career. The Harvard Business Review says that David is, quote, one of the hundred best performing CEOs in the world. Chief Executive Magazine named him the Chief Executive Officer of the Year. And, uh, (laughs) you know, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? And so, look, there are a lot of people who would pay a ton of money to sit down and have a uh, dinner conversation like the one you're about to hear with a living legend that is David Novak. And what you're about to hear is an unedited, unfettered, unfiltered, real dialogue with David. And we dig into all of it from how to be a legendary leader, executive and entrepreneur to how David went from being a marketing copywriter to one of the most important CEOs on planet Earth what it really means to love your customer and their problems, why marketing is all about customer perceptions, and why you need to change, build, and reinforce those perceptions over time. We talk about how to radically differentiate, how to do legendary marketing, and why David doesn't care very much about competition. You're going to hear the story of Taco Bell's fourth meal strategy. They created a new category of meal. And the Go Beyond the Bun campaign, and many, many, many more. Uh, David also shares how to use data to find new growth opportunities and pay special attention to how David thinks corporations like the one he founded should make big, big, tough decisions like should we or shouldn't we leave Russia and how should we do it and or when should we do it and a whole lot more. If you think that real dialogues are how we learn, connect and inspire each other, then you're in the right place. This is Christopher Lockett, Folly or Different. Now, one of the most important questions in business is, are we going to beat, meet, or miss on revenue? And most senior executives have a very hard time answering that question. That's where my friends at Clary come in. Clary is the world's leading revenue platform, and they help companies to collaborate and govern revenue. Imagine one revenue platform that empowers every revenue critical person in your company, regardless of department, to work together on revenue. Visit Clary today, that's C-L-A-R-I, and learn how to run revenue. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Well, David, it sure is great to see you. Thank you for your time. I'm happy to be with you. Looking forward to it. I'm so excited to meet you. And this may be a funny, a funny question, but 
you know, as you write a book like you've written and you kind of look back on your career, how do you feel? How does it feel being you looking back on your career? We'll talk about forward too, but you have a lot of interesting things to look back on. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to my wife about that last night. I, I think I've lived like, like the ultimate dream life. You know, I, I grew up with a very humble background. I lived in a trailer until I was in seventh grade, lived in 23 states by the time I was in seventh grade, moved every three months. Uh, you know, I got a first kid in my family to get a, a, a college education, got a degree in journalism, didn't get an MBA, uh, end up becoming a CEO, have the time of my life uh, building a fantastic uh, company. And, and then now I'm in my uh, next phase of my life where I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to spend time on the things that truly give me joy. I, I focus on leadership development. Uh, you know, I have my own podcast, How Leaders Lead with David Novak, which I love doing every week. I'm sure you do too. And, and uh, you know, so I, I have digital leadership programs. I'm, I'm writing books. Uh, and, you know, that that's a big passion of mine, along with working with my daughter, Ashley, who's in charge of our Lift the Life Foundation, where we focus on type 1 diabetes and veteran support, early childhood education, uh, and hunger. And so, you know, that, that's really a big chunk of my life. And then, you know, I, I focus on my family. I, you know, I, I love my wife. We've been married for 48 years. We're planning the big uh, celebration uh, in the fall. And uh, Wendy's awesome. And then, you know, I have three grandkids now, which is fantastic. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I, the rest of the time I spend on golf. You know, it's my passion. I love golf, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm getting better at it. I actually won a tournament this year, a regular club championship, not Atta the senior boy. club championship. You know, I, <laughs> I won the Shinnecock Club Championship at uh, at 69 years old, oldest guy to ever do it. So I think I've got <laughs> life by the tail. I've never been happier, and never had more fun in a summer than I'm having right now. And uh, you know, I just uh, hope that I can stay healthy and, and my family stays healthy and we just keep uh, living the life we have. It's amazing. God bless you. And congratulations, David. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. And you, the, the funny yeah. thing about your story is in the entrepreneur world, of course, there's and the personal growth and development world. There's a billion books on how to make it and set goals and apply yourself and leadership books and all these things. And the vast majority of them are all about sort of how to get to some destination, how to get to some mountaintop. There's very little written uh, about called, okay, you made it to the top of the mountain. Now what? And and you are in what I like to think about as if there's sort of three stages of a career there. If you're lucky and you're a high potential younger person, you get identified as a Lucy or a Luke Skywalker. And then if you're successful there, you graduate to being Obi-Wan. And if you're successful as an Obi-Wan, then maybe you make it to Yoda status one day. And so I, I guess this leads to a question, which is, you know, you're sort of in that Obi-Wan on the way to Yoda is how I would think about you stage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what does that feel like as opposed to, you know, when I was in the Luke Skywalker phase, I thought the reward was winning as Luke Skywalker. And I realized mm -hmm. the reward is actually you get to be Obi-Wan, you earn your Obi-Wan stripes. But I'm curious how that feels for you. Well, I, I have to tell you, you know, the, a lot of the research out there says that you know the people that are the happiest are other directed. 
and I think what's happened throughout my life is I've evolved. You know, when you first start in business, you're you're very self-centered. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to demonstrate that you've got the skill level to, to get to the next level. Then you get to manage people if you've demonstrated you've got those skills and you, you, you learn the how to lead and you go through all the mistakes that you you, you go through when you're, you're going through that through that process uh and then you know what i've found is that the more other directed i got the more i focused on other people's success more than my own the more success i ultimately got and it, you know it's it's kind of an amazing thing and and as i work toward joda's status uh, you probably describe me pretty well you know I hope to be someone that can provide a lot of wisdom and and be that person that people go to and learn from. And that's why I've, I've started my David Novak leadership company so that I can really make a difference. And and, you know, we're we're trying to develop leaders at every level. We we have the largest privately funded leadership development program for middle schools and high schools in, in the country. We've we've basically uh in the last 10 years, we've reached two, 2 million students. We have, you know, uh, 12,000 teachers signed up for that every year. Then we said, okay, let's do something with elementary schools. And we've teamed up with uh, this lady named Jan Helson, who created this program called Global Game Changers, which helps elementary students, uh, you know, figure out what their their talent is, put their heart in it. That becomes their superpower. And that's how they can ignite change in the world. And it's a fantastic program. And then, you know, we've got the Novak Leadership Institute at the University of Missouri. And then we've got How Leaders Lead, which is for aspiring leaders. Uh, And, you know, so I'm trying to do everything I can to develop leaders out there, because I think that's a huge problem in our country. There's way too much toxic uh, leadership. There's way, way too many bad bosses. There's way too many people that are frustrated when they go to work. And, you know, leadership solves all those problems. It's interesting uh, that we're talking about this right now. Uh, You may have seen this. I just saw a report that came out that said that now uh, approximately 60 percent of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's you know, it's 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 a tough time out there. The you know, it's it's tough with inflation, the the economy, interest rates are going to go up. You know, we know we're heading towards a recession. You know, it's it's challenging. And, and there's a big divide between the, the haves and the have nots. And I think that's a problem in our country. And, you know, the one thing that I had when I was growing up in a in, in a pretty, I think, uh, you know, it was a great environment. I thought everybody lived in a trailer and I had the best parents in the world. And I, I thought, you know, it was, you know, I say I tell everybody I I was successful because of my uh, upbringing, not in spite of it, you know. So, but, you know, the one thing that my parents really believed is that I could live the American dream. And, you know, they really, they really believe that, you know, if I got that education and I put my heart and soul into whatever I loved, that I, I could ultimately be successful. And, and I think that's true today as well. I think that's true. But I think, unfortunately, there are too many people that 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 probably have given up hope. And, you know, I, I, I hope one day my goal is that somehow from all the leadership development that I do, that there'll be one person that will rise up in this country and, and inspire people again. And, you know, I, I just wish we had a president that could be a hell of a good leader, you know, that could get well, the know, You have speech, a pretty good track record you know? at leadership, David. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if, if, if I was, if I was young enough and, you know, uh, 
and I had different circumstances. I would love to try to make a difference in in, in that vein. Um, and I know a lot of people who can do it, uh, and hopefully one of them will, because we we need we need somebody to step up and 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 get people to feel great about what this country is, and and what it can be, and how we're going to compete in the future. It's interesting. We had David Gergen on a while ago, and uh, he said a very very similar thing, and. He said uh, he felt it was really time for a new generation of leadership to stand up. He's got a new book out, which is great, called Hearts Touched by Fire. And he's very much inspired by the new generation coming up and and, and wanting to uh, create a different kind of dialogue in our country. And uh, it's interesting to hear you uh, saying just very similar things. Where do you think we are in terms of our ability to create the next generation of leaders, David? You know, I think we... We've got challenges, you know. I, I think uh, you know one way how you can really be led is is be around people, and 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 uh, one way how you can learn how to lead is to be around people and collaborate. And and so you know, I, I think uh, there's been a lot of good that's come out of uh, COVID as it relates to our ability to do things virtually. You know, it's it's like you know when I first doing started doing podcasts, you know, I. I thought I almost had to do them in person, you know, and now I do all my podcasts uh, with Zoom and it's so easy and it's just, it is great and it's fun. And, and you know, it's, it's like I'm talking to some, you know, just, you're, you don't, you don't have to be in the room, you know, it's been, so that's, that's, that's like, been amazing. I don't even know where you are right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't matter. I don't know where you're at, but we're having a great conversation exactly. and, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think I'll pop open another beer and we'll keep going here, you know, but, but anyway, I got um, some Glenn Fittick right over there. If you really want to get rolling, <laughs> there you go. I'm into tequila right now. I think. But, oh, I'll chase anyway, you down that rabbit hole any day. <laughs> yeah. But I tell you, you know, I think that in the virtual world, it's harder to get the coaching that, that you really need to become a, a better, better leader. And I think that this new generation is going to, you know, continue to work virtually, but they're going to crave contact. They're going to crave getting together and collaborating. And, 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 you know, I, I think that things will move back in that direction uh, over time. And I think the best companies are going to be more successful if they have great leaders who know how to collaborate and get the best out of their, 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 their teams. And it's a lot harder to do that virtually than in, than in person. Um, you know, some people are pretty good at it, you know, getting those team meetings and Zoom meetings. And then other people are, are terrible at it. They can't really read the room and they don't really know how to move forward. But that's true in any kind of leadership situation. But I think uh, that people are starved for leadership. It's one of the reasons why my book is really perfectly timed. I mean, people aren't getting the coaching that they want at work. They're not getting the leadership. And, you know, your life and your career is way too important to delegate to someone else. So, you know, what I really try to do with this book is to give people everything I know about how to self-coach yourself in, into success, uh, because that's one way of teaching people how to lead. You have to start with yourself. You know, I, I guarantee you, you have high self-awareness. You're a very successful guy. You constantly look at yourself. You figure out how to sharpen your axe. You figure out where you want to go next. And, you know, there's a real skill in that. And you probably had people in your career help you do that. But a lot of people aren't getting that kind of coaching. So I'm trying to do that every way I can. It's interesting that you bring that up. It, I remember for me as a young man, David, it was a radical idea to realize that um, life wasn't the weather. 
right? If we listen to the way we talk and somebody says, oh, mm-hmm. how are you doing? And somebody says, oh, not too bad. Or my, my other favorite, which is how's life treating you? As though life is the weather. And, and of course, there's things that just happen to us. And sometimes they're positive things and sometimes they're horrible things. But this idea that we can actually design our own life, that we can actually create a future for ourselves of our choosing. I mean, as a young man, that was a very, very radical idea for me. And so I love that you're doing this work now. And so if I was maybe a younger person or somebody earlier in my career, and I didn't know how to, if you will, create or generate a future to take control of me, so to speak, where would you have me start? Well, I think it it, it falls in this area of self-awareness. I think the first thing I'd tell you to do is, why don't you sit down and, and, and think about all the things that block your joy in your life? Write them all down. Take the time. Everyone, you know, it could be what it could be a rainy day for God's sakes. I don't know, but it could be, you know, I don't know what it is, but there are things that block your joy. You know, for me, you know, I hated bureaucracy. If there was bureaucracy, it drove me nuts. That, 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 you know, that really blocked my joy. But you write down all these joy blockers. Okay. Then take some time and say, okay, what's your best day? What gives you great joy? What gives you real joy and satisfaction in, in, in your life? Um, and then take a look at the blockers and the builders. And if you're spending a lot of time in the areas where you're, you're frustrated and your blockers, you better, you better figure out how to move over to that other side and focus on your joy builders. And too many people go through life, you know, without really understanding their core of what really gives them joy and what gives them happiness, you know? Uh, I love Warren Buffett. I've been blessed enough to get to know this guy. And he wrote a book, which I, I loved, which is, you know, you know, uh, tap dance your way to work. Now, why does he tap dance his way to work? Because this guy loves business. He loves to learn. He loves the, 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 the idea of, of creating value, all these things that he loves to do. And he loves, he, he you know, and he knows he hates he hates bureaucracy. I mean, he's so proud of the fact that, you know, he's got 17 people working at Berkshire Hathaway headquarters. It might be 20 now. I mean, he might be getting a little fat. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he understands what his joy is. And, you know, when I talk to all these leaders in my podcast, they have found their love. They have found their passion and they have gone after it. And, you know, that's why they're that's why they've achieved the success that they have. You know, people are not very good at things that don't give them joy. You know, and the only way you can be good at anything, the only way you can get promoted is be good at what you do. So, you know, why are you going to work harder and just spend more time doing something that doesn't give you joy? I mean, I never felt like I worked a day in my life. I love my job. I've always loved what I've done. Once I found out that I wanted to get in marketing and advertising, then, then, that started it. And then I wanted to be a leader. And then I wanted to, I had all these desires to try to create something special, you know, all of that, you know, that, that ignited my, my, my joy. And, and it's what I think has really helped me be semi-successful. I think David, we can say you've been more than semi-successful. It's interesting, interesting that you say that I had this happen to me just the other day where there was something I was supposed to be doing this, this initiative and I wasn't doing it at all. 
Like I wasn't doing anything on it. I hadn't started it. I hadn't done any, you know, I thought, why am I not doing this? And it occurred to me, oh, I'm not doing this because I fucking don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get out of this. I don't want to do this. And it is an interesting thing. Now, what I hear in my life is people say, oh, that's easy for you. You've already made it. You know, what do you do when you're coming up? And at least my answer always is, well, no, no, I've always been this way. It's part of how I got to where I got to. And so I guess my question is, if you're somebody who is in a situation where there are these joy blockers and maybe you're paying the rent with these joy blockers, um, but the truth is you're doing work that's kind of sucking your aliveness, what advice would you have for me? Well, I I think I would really work very hard at, at trying to define what makes me alive, what gets my juices flowing, okay? And then I would realize that if I don't do something about this, I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. And, you know, I think that pain, the thought of that should get you out of your comfort zone and make you go after what you really want. And if there is a will, there is a way. I really believe that. And, you know, the people who who are miserable are the people who stay in that rut of thinking that you just talked about. You know, it's like, I, I can't do this because I can't do that. I can't do this because I can't do that. You know, it's like, and yeah, it's easy for me to say. It's easy for you to say. But it's the key to, to really finding the happiness. You have to take action to get there. You know, when I first started out, I was an advertising copywriter. And, you know, I, I, I was a very good writer. But I looked around and, and I, I, I realized that if I was ever going to move up, I was going to have to get into the leadership world. And I, so I wanted, then I said, I'm going to go into account work. Now, I could have stayed there and been a really good writer for a long time. But I realized that I would be miserable if I was sitting in that lovey, little cubbyhole for the rest of my, my life and maybe get, you know, move up to a bigger cubbyhole and, you know, be a good writer. You know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. But it was that, that healthy dissatisfaction for the status quo, I think, drives people. And I, I really believe that that, that is something that, that you got to have in, in your life. Otherwise, you're going to have other people that are going to do that. And you're going to be working them for them your entire life. Exactly. Which is okay. Which is okay if that's what you want to do. Around here, we call that reject the premise. <laughs> just reject the premise. Now, maybe just switching topics a little bit. I just have to tell you. Um, or I, maybe I have to ask you. At Taco Bell, is there crack in that food? What, what is in the Taco Bell food? <laughs> and is there something about Taco Bell that... The later in the day it gets, the better it tastes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Taco Bell food is fantastic and it's craveable. What, what you want to do with all the food that you create is you want to you want to create that, you know, that old Lay's potato chip. You just can't eat just one. You know, that that was their line. And, and you know, you want to have that. I called it comeback taste. You want to have comeback taste in everything you do if you're in the food business is that you crave it and you can't wait to have it again. And, you know, if you can have something that you can have frequently on an everyday basis, that's even better because your sales are going to be even higher. And Taco Bell basically has it. You know, Taco Bell, 
uh, and Chick-fil-A, I think, are the two hottest concepts in the quick service restaurant industry today. Um, well, I, I got to tell you, you want to hear a funny Chick-fil-A story? Sure, absolutely. Do you know who Andre Iguodala, the basketball yeah. player, is? Yeah, absolutely. NBA champion. He was a finals champion here with the Warriors. So he was on the podcast a couple of years ago. And we got to talk about his diet. He's a very fit guy. And actually, we did this one in person, which was kind of cool. And uh, so we're chatting and so forth and so on. And he he's telling me about his diet and his routine. And he says, I'm mostly plant-based, mostly vegetarian. And I said, well, mostly. What do you mean mostly? And he says, well, he says, those people at Chick-fil-A, just I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so even for a disciplined athlete on a plant-based diet, winning championships, that uh, craveable taste got Andre Iguodala as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I think about 60, 70% of people today are, that may be a little high, but it are, are what they call flexitarians, okay? They they do the both the plant-based and the vegetarian and, and the meat, and they kind of rotate it throughout the, the week, you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, that was a, one great thing. I You know, many things I loved about the restaurant business. For me, it was the, perfection trifecta coming together it's the most marketing driven business you could ever be in which i love i came up in marketing it's the most people driven business you could ever be in if you don't have a great restaurant manager and great people in the restaurants you, you'll you'll have a poor business so you got to create great people build your people capability and it's all about food you know, it's and those are the three things that I love, you know, and, you know, it, it was perfect for me because I spent my time eating a lot of food, spent a lot of time with people and really focusing on the marketing to get people to buy in more of our products. And so what would you if I was a new marketer joining Yum Brands today and maybe you identified me as having a little bit of potential what would be the things that you would want me to learn about how to build? I mean, your company was called Yum Brands. By the way, one of the greatest right. company names in the history of company <laughs> names. What was it? What was it called before that? Before you changed the name? One of the worst co company names of all time. It was called Tricon, and it was supposed to mean three icons, but nobody got it. Okay, and I remember Patty Sellers of Fortune did a story on it. And said uh, excellent management, lousy name. <laughs> that was the headline. <laughs> Which and, sounds and, like a and, robot from a Star Wars movie. Oh, or something. It sounds like an industrial cleaning company. Right. It was terrible. I mean, it was awful. But we we did we did uh, change that name, and our t our ticker symbol was always Yum, which is a great. Even when symbol. you were Tricon. Yeah, even when it was Tricon. Oh, I didn't realize and, that. Yeah, so you yeah, changed your I, name to your ticker symbol. I wanted to do that from the very beginning, but you know, at that point, people thought people you know might not take us seriously, et cetera. That was bullshit. But you know, anyway, we, I changed it as soon as I became CEO. And what made you want to change it so much? Uh, because I hated Tricon. Hmm. I wanted, you know, I, I, you know, to me, I did Yum Cheers, and you know, uh, our mission originally was to put a Yum on customers' faces around the world, and, <laughs> and you know. And, you know, Tricon was just absolutely deadly boring and, and just a ridiculously bad name. And so I couldn't wait, you know, I couldn't wait to wait to change that name. And do you think, you know, because obviously the, the holding company is one thing, but your major brands, of course, are right. Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and KFC and et cetera, et cetera. And so those brands, I would imagine, were far at the forefront and so what, what difference did it make whether or not sort of the umbrella company that mo most consumers probably don't realize that 
uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC is owned by some other company. And so what was the value, especially given the iconic nature of so many of your restaurant brands, of changing the kind of mothership brand? Yeah, well, we had to build awareness of the the, the corporate entity, the, the, the uh, holding company. And so one of the things we did after we changed the name is we became the first sponsor of the Kentucky Derby. And and the reason was is because that was such a global event and we were a global business and we could basically build retail awareness of young brands, which is KFC, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. But we never really uh, focused on young brands with the consumer that we, we were trying to sell Taco Bell, Pizza Hut and KFC every, every day. But we did want to, you know, when we when we went to young brands and changed our name, that did more to say, hey, there is this company out there that has Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and KFC. Because no, Tricon, nobody really, you know, we were under the radar, okay? And then we started having a lot of success. And then Yum Brands kind of take on, took on its own identity uh, as, as a, you know, as a great restaurant company. Um, because, we, you know, we were, we were blessed. Our, you know, our stock went up eight, nine times. And, you know, we, we went from 20% domestic uh uh, 20% international business to 80% international business. We built the, the biggest business in China, you know, so we had a lot of, a lot of success and uh, yum was the, 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 the umbrella that all of that happened on. And, and we wanted to bring pizza Hut and Taco Bell and KFC together and their people together. And yum was the way to do that. I mean, we all work for yum. It's like Procter and Gamble, a lot of pride. If you work at Procter and Gamble, if you're in package goods, yeah. Nobody buy no Procter and Gamble. Nobody, you know, you care about, you know, whatever their crest and, you know, whatever their brands are. But your people care. Yes. People and care. I've often said as a former uh, CMO myself that marketing is the culture department. Because what we say externally impacts dramatically who we are internally. There's no separation of the two. And so I guess with that said, um, did it change the culture? Did it change your ability to recruit when you went from Tricon to yum? No, didn't no? Do. no, not really. Okay. You know, I think what drove our ability to recruit was that we did have a fantastic culture. You know, uh, we, we really believed in, in building people capability first, then you satisfy customers then you make money. Uh, too many people start out saying, I want to make money. They don't realize the way how you get there. You know, I made recognition. So my, my big driver in terms of, you know, the behavior that I personally exhibited and showed people how to how to do it around the world and recognition became our number one uh, cultural value. And that came from, a lot from my back marketing background, uh, you know, because I wanted to have fun. You know, so when I was president of KFC, I gave away rubber chickens and you know, numbered each one of them, wrote on them what somebody did, deserve it, told took a picture. I said, you're going to throw the. You can, I'll send you a framed picture and you can put it in your office. But the most important thing is your, your picture is going to go in my office because you're, you're the person that's really making things happen. And I did this and then everybody saw the power of recognition and then everybody, you know, leaders cast a shadow. And so if you do something, everybody else will do it. So, so everybody else came up with their individual recognition awards. When I went to be president of, of, of Pizza Hut, I gave away Green Bay Packer cheese heads then when I was uh, CEO of Yum Brands, I gave away these walk the talk teeth for putting a yum on our customers' faces around the world. And, you know, but it, we had a lot of fun doing it. And that that cultural behavior 
was was a big thing. You know, people, you know, uh, will repeat what you reward. Okay, so I, I one of my uh, digital leadership training books and one of the uh, or uh, programs and w- one book that I wrote called Oh Great One, a uh, little story about the awesome power of recognition is is all about the power of 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 recognition and purposeful recognition. So if you if you have five things that you know drives performance, if you recognize the heck out of those five things and everybody else in your company does, you're going to get more of those five things. And it is powerful and it's so easy to do. You know, I've had engineers say, well, you know, engineering, we don't really have cultural, you know, that's not, you know, we, I said, well, what, what, what drives performance in engineering? Well, we need to be productive. That's fantastic. Okay. We need to be on time. That's fantastic. We need to, we need to innovate to come up with good solutions. Okay. Well, those are three things right now. Why don't you start recognizing those three things every time you see it? And I guarantee you, you'll get more of it. And and I think you funny how that start, works, right? <laughs> it, it's amazing how it works, and so you know, and it's easy to do, and but it takes a little thought. You know, what is it in your business? What are the five things that drive performance in your business? Identify what those things are, or what are the five things that will drive performance on your team that you're leading? Mm-hmm. Identify those things, and then start recognizing it, and you'll get more and more of that that performance. But you asked me a question earlier about marketing. What yeah. would you do? What would you do if you were? Yeah. How I mean, would you teach me to be a marketer if I wanted to be successful at Young Brands? I would tell you, you better love the customer. Okay. By that, I mean, you need to understand what perceptions, habits, and beliefs you need to change, build, or reinforce to grow the business. It's your job to understand how that customer is thinking and really understand what the reality is with your customer base, and then putting a plan together that will address those issues and those opportunities, and then having a hell of a lot of fun inspiring people to cre- to develop great creative ideas to to make it you know to make it come a reality. You said something about marketing, which I couldn't agree more with. You want you know one thing about marketers, you have to wear your work, okay. You know, a lot of people can go in different functions and you never know what they do. But, man, if you if you have something great that goes on television or goes starts, uh, you know, in digital or you, you pick the the, mecha, the the vehicle, man, people see it. And if it's great, it's awesome. If it sucks, it's terrible. OK, you can't hide in marketing. What you do gets seen if you're good at it. Yes. One way or the other. If it doesn't get seen, you got a real problem, don't you? You got a real problem. So, I mean, the brands that you are responsible for are some of the most iconic brands in the world. What are your big learnings? If I said, hey, man, I want to build one of the most legendary, iconic brands in the world, David, and you've done that, you and your colleagues have done that over over many, many years, what insight would you share with me? Well, we had what... I coined to be the Yum Dynasty drivers because what we wanted to do was drive performance not one year, every year, and do it consistently. And you know, we had thirteen percent earnings per share growth for for thirteen straight years. You know, when you do that, then you become reliable, and investors can can really uh, believe in you. So, you know, we really studied the great companies. 
that were getting dynasty-like performance. And so the first thing that I would tell somebody is you got to create a culture where everyone counts. You go to any great company and they're going to brag about their culture. And everybody in that company feels like they can make a difference. The second thing is you got to be maniacal about your customers. You know, it's not like you're, they're just there. You are so passionate about focusing on meeting and exceeding their needs and giving them stuff that they never even really conceived of, uh, that it, it gets, guides you, your, your, your thinking every day. The third thing is you, you got to put process and discipline around what really matters. Okay. You got to figure out what are those drivers? Okay. That, that, that you've got to execute to, to really, uh, make sure that you, you, you can have consistent execution. The other thing is, is you've got to exaggerate your differentiation in everything you do. You have to decide, okay, this is who we are. Now, how do we exaggerate that differentiation and, and do it in all aspects of of marketing, not just the advertising, but what happens when you walk in the store? What do your uniforms look like? You know, what's the parking lot look like? How's your signage look? How do, well, how do you do your POP? But you got to exaggerate that difference. And then the last thing is, is that you got to have a beat, beat year ago mentality. Sam Walton called it beat yesterday. I mean, he wanted you to get a little better every day. Okay. Which I love that too. Uh, but we had what we called beat year ago mentality. If, if you had a, if you were doing some, if you were developing your plan for 2023 right now, you better make sure that you're doing something more and better than what you're doing in 2022. And we stacked up our plans up against each, each, each those kinds of things. And, and, uh, but those five things were our dynasty drivers. And I, we really built them into the company and, and tried to make them front and center. So on that front, I'd love to circle back on uh, exaggerate your differentiation. So if I go back to Taco Bell for a second, and maybe it's uh, uh, my experience of having many a misspent evening where uh, Taco Bells tend to be open. The the idea of the this fourth meal of the day right. just felt like a radical differentiation, that it was sort of a mm-hmm. commonly held thing in society. There's three meals a day, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden... Uh, you folks show up and say, ta-da, a new category of meal, the fourth right. meal. And right. so maybe take me inside of the kind of thinking that creates that kind of uh, radical, mm-hmm. or as you called it, exaggerated differentiation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in the restaurant business, you have a couple of things that you, you want to do. One is you want to leverage your day part. You want to you leverage your, your asset. So the more you can sell throughout the day, the better. And one of the reasons why McDonald's is successful, 40% of what they sell happens at breakfast. Okay. They have a great breakfast business, you know? So Taco Bell, we thought one of the things that was closest to our equity and particularly our, our younger target audience was, was late night. Okay. So the question then is, okay, how do we, how do we talk about late night? Everybody taught at late night. How can we, how can we talk about late night? Well, people like to pile into Taco Bell late night, you know, after they've maybe had a couple drinks or whatever, you know, and, you know, 
so we said, really, it's, 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 you know, most people want to have three meals a day. We want to have people have four meals a day. So that's how we came up with the fourth meal. And, but it was very consistent with Taco Bell's brand image. You know, we, we were always sort of radical. You know, we, we were radical, very different. You know, we, we were the, we, we were the first to really just blow out the value equation. I mean, we had, you know, you still, you can't believe how much food you get at Taco Bell for such little money. You know, that's something that we've never really lost. Um, and then, you know, one other thing that we really tried to focus in on is we really feel like you got to understand what your problems are in the category. So we do what we call problem detection studies. So we, we get people, consumers to get into focus groups and we just have them start bitching about every problem with fast food, every problem with Taco Bell. Tell us all the problems. Okay. And, oh, you can't believe everybody just bitching and telling you all the problems that they have with Taco Bell, et cetera. Then we write down real simple statements. The restaurants are messy or clean. Uh, the restaurants are clean. The management may not be surly or whatever it is. Okay. All the, all the problems that they come up with. Then we do research that, that basically quantifies, you know, what's the most important problems that occurs most frequently. And interestingly enough, the most important problem at Taco Bell that occurred most frequently, and this unlocked an incredible streak of years of growth, was that the biggest problem consumers had was that the products were messy to eat. And that's a big problem when 60% of what you sell goes through the drive-thru. So we had launched, we had launched like the quesadilla and said, hey, come try Taco Bell's quesadilla. Fantastic. No sales growth. We'd launched a grilled stuff burrito and, you know, said, hey, come Taco Bell. It's great. You know, no sales growth. So once we uncovered this insight, we said, we got to really focus on the portability of our products. So we went back and took that same quesadilla, hired, believe it or not, Jeff Bezos to do an ad for us. And he's sitting around a table with five or six techies. And they're talking about the hottest new handheld on the market. And it was Taco Bell's new quesadillas. And we had a very, very good packaging that was made it easier to eat in, in, in the car. Then we took the grilled stuff burrito. And by the way, we got 12% sales growth from that. It, just by changing the context of understanding what really we had to drive at, put it in, get, and and then we put it under the brand umbrella, which is we're different than everybody else. Think outside the bun. That was our theme line, and you know, so because we really wanted to go up against the burger competition, because that you know we own the 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 Mexican food service Mexican category. We had like a eighty percent share of that, so we had to go up against the burger boys, basically. Okay, so then we took grilled stuff burrito and remarketed it as a heavy duty portable. And we had people going in the drive through ordering the grilled stuff burrito. Once they got the grilled stuff burrito, the cars tilted because of the weight of the product. You know, fantastic, simple idea. Then we created the product of the year specifically around that called the crunch wrap. Okay. And the crunch wrap is. Th thank you up. for the crunch wrap. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Keep going. There you go. <laughs> and so all of these things you know, really got us on the road to portability and solved the biggest problem. And, 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 and we also differentiate ourselves with our advertising theme on, which is think outside the bun and everything that we did 
was supposed to be a little quirky. Even today, you see Taco Bell's, you know, is, is you know, t- it has an edge to it. Yes. You know, and, and that's, that's, what, that's what you have to do as a marketing person. So a cu- couple of really awesome points. On Think Outside the Bun, one of the things that we teach around here is, so most people understand that what most people are doing when they do marketing is they're doing demand capture. There's existing demand in a category and they're uh, fighting for that demand with some kind of an offer, some kind of a promotion, some kind of an awareness thing they're doing. Uh, And then when you're creating a new category, you're creating new demand, net new demand. So there's demand capture and demand creation. But there's this third thing in the middle um, called damn the demand, which is to take demand from one place for one category and move it somewhere else. And to me, the genius of Think Outside the Bun was you weren't competing with um, other restaurants. You were saying, hey, stop eating so many burgers and come over here. And so in that sense, it seemed like to me as an observer that what you were doing was trying to shrink uh, burger uh, category share or category size and move it to uh, Mexican food uh, to increase your category. And then you as the category leader would, of course, get a disproportionate, disproportionate amount of that. And so you were, if you were shifting demand from one category burgers to your category. But that's how it looked to me. I'm curious yeah. how it looked from the inside. Well, absolutely. I mean, I never really focused that much on competition. I focused on what customers are doing. And what customers are doing is they're going to the burger places more than we wanted them to. Okay. And so we really went after the mindset that we knew that back to that question. I said, I think is the key marketing question of all time. What perception, habit, or belief do you have to change, build, or reinforce to grow the business? Well, the habit that we had to change was the, was the burger habit. Okay. The, what we had to, 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 to build was that we had portable products. Okay. And, and everything comes back to that. See, the problem with most marketing people is they just want, they want to, you, you think you can just tell people what you have. That's not it. You got to understand the context that you got to deliver the message to. You have to get inside of the mind of how people are thinking about your products and your brand. And, and that context is what really drives sales and, and really builds your, your business and takes you, takes you to the, to the next, next level. And so it's true also when you think about how you market yourself, how you develop yourself, you know, how you take charge of, of you. You know, you got to really understand who you are. Okay. What gives you joy? What takes away your joy? How are people thinking about you? You know, and, and then what do you have to do to get to where you want to go and get people to think about you the way how you want them to think about you? It's very much. See, one of the big things that I've, I've used in leadership and taking people with you are my marketing skills. Because I use marketing to take people with me. You know, it's like I get inside of the heads of people I've got to lead and, and get and really understand how they're thinking so that I can take them with me to get done what needs to be done. You know, and, and that's that may sound like common sense, but the problem with common sense is it's not that common. No, no, it's not. And the other point you made uh, earlier on the data uh, around the problem 
you know, my uh, writing partner, Eddie Yoon, is, is a master at what around here we call category data science, looking at the data, looking for what he calls the weird to try to find uh, new growth opportunities. And how many people in the restaurant business would sit there and go, okay, we're in the restaurant business. We make food. How many people would be looking for data to suggest non-food ways to produce a breakthrough in growth? And yet you discovered that if you made the food more effectively portable, that is to say I can eat it in my car and not make a mess of myself, that you'll increase revenue. And so this interesting thing that you're sharing around sort of, number one, thinking in orthogonal ways, thinking outside the bun, right? Having a conversation that is not a competitive one, but that is an increase the category one. And that's been a slogan for a very long time. And then just the ability to think about data that you would even pose the question, A, what are the problems customers are having? And then B, in this example, are there non-food related, that is to say product related things that it would make a difference? And in this example, you found, and you tell me how you think about it, David, what I would characterize maybe as an experience differentiator. That is to say, if we make it easier to experience eating the food on the go, then we're going to sell more food. But I'd be curious kind of how you think about all of that. Yeah, well, uh, the way I think about it is, is you think about every great entrepreneur. They solve problems. Okay? They, they disrupt categories because they figure out what's wrong with the category or, or and, and they come up with an idea that solves the problem and then a whole new brand surfaces. And, and so I always think about, I don't know what the consumer's going to tell me, but I want to know what's going inside their mind. And if they tell me that our products are messy to eat and not portable, and that's the biggest problem that occurs most frequently, I know that if I don't solve that problem, I'm not going to grow. And we had basically demonstrated that, okay? Because all we did was kept telling everybody how great Taco Bell was with pretty crappy advertising, wasn't differentiated. And we were, we were in the ditch. We had to get out of the ditch. And the only way you'll ever get out of the ditch is you got to know what your consumers are thinking. I mean, if you don't start there, you're dead meat. And, and I think start with their problems, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, you know, you'll also find out, you, you, you know, you, you know, you do this, you want to understand what they love about you mm-hmm. and you want to reinforce. That's what you reinforce. Remember sure. the question, what perceptions have to have its beliefs? Do you want to build? We want portability. Reinforce that we are powerful. You know, we got great tasty products that you love or whatever. And, you know, change portability. Okay. That's, we, we were messy. Now we want to make it easier. Yes. And, and when you, when you, Think about the business that way. Uh, you win. I made everybody every every time we had a brand uh, a a uh, annual operating plan yep. or a quarterly business review. I made everybody answer that question. We started out with what perceptions, habits, beliefs do you have to change, build, or reinforce to grow the business? What have we learned? What's new? What have we learned? And that was what I galvanized everybody around. Okay. Awesome. And I use and I use the the problem detection study as as one of the ways to to do it. Yes. Now on the leadership front, 
you know, we saw something happen in corporate uh, America and certainly in the food business uh, not long ago as the war in the Ukraine broke out, which was many uh, major corporations, uh, particularly American ones, although beyond America, pulling out of Russia. And of course, Yum! Brands was one of those. And I know you weren't there at the time. But maybe if you could shine a light on me, how does a, um, a company like a Yum! Brands, how does a CEO in that situation think about a strategic, clearly incredibly important decision along those lines? That was just, I'm sure, a heart-wrenching decision for the CEO. Because, you know, I, I basically started our business in Russia. You know, we had, I think, we did a deal with this chicken chain called Rostics, okay? And it was sort of East meets West. We put KFC in the Rostics, and I knew I was always going to take Rostics over and turn them into KFCs. We we knew that was going to be the, the deal. Uh, but, you know, we went from 100 stores, got a little bit of scale. I think, I think Yum has 2,000 stores in Russia now, okay? And we have fantastic people there. You know, it's never the people on the ground. It's the, it's the, the, the rulers that screw everything up for everybody. Okay. And it, it, it was just a really sad situation. And I just think that given what was going on, the company had no other option as painful as it was. Okay. To, to pull out and, and, uh, it, you know, we have a franchise business there. So, you know, I, I think any of the royalties that we pick up from the franchisees, we we we're donating to Ukraine, and and but it's a it's it's just one of those things where you weigh your options, and you get a good group of people around you, and you beat it up, you beat up every option that you have, and then you finally come to a conclusion and say this is what we have to do, but you can't do it in a vacuum. You know, I think that whole thing about the CEO being the loneliest job in the world is bullshit. You know, I think that the CEO, if it's a good CEO, it's you got a lot of people around you all the time and you, you create an environment where people can speak up and tell you what they think. And then you get it, all the ideas out on the table. You have healthy debate, healthy decision. And then you, you, you basically make that decision. And, that, you know, and if it falls in your lap as a CEO, you make it. And. And, and that's some what of those I think. things can look easy on the outside. I mean, I was very vocal in the tech industry, given my background, that uh, we in our industry needed to come out of Russia. But at the same time, um, having been an officer and director of public companies, I know uh, that there's a situation like this where you have thousands of employees. I assume right. the vast majority of whom are very good people. You have franchise owners who are small business owners, entrepreneurs in their own right. And of course, you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of customers who uh, who doesn't like their KFC, and 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 the people of Russia should be able to enjoy their KFC, as you, as yeah. as, you, as you might want to argue. And at the same time, you know, we have the leadership doing this horrible thing. And so, on one hand, you don't want to support that leadership. On one hand, you don't want to be a source of revenue or taxation or any of those things. But at the same time, if you pull out. You are going to hurt your customers to some degree and especially your employees. So it, it doesn't, once you sort of unpack it, you know, at 30,000 feet, it might look very simple. But once you begin to unpack it, whether it's Russia or China, th these things start to get a little more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And you described it very well. And that's what the team had to go through. And 
I think they ended up in the right place. Now, I also, maybe before I let you go, if I could, one of the other amazing things in your career is there are very few folks who sort of are as entrepreneurial as you are and yet are also executives. And, you know, my friend Mike Maples, the legendary uh, venture capitalist, says startups are not companies and companies are not startups. And people who confuse those things get very confused. And so... You're one of those rare sort of unicorns, David, where you're an entrepreneur and you understand sort of pure innovation and category creation and new brand and product creation. But at the same time, I mean, you were the chief executive officer of one of the most successful, most complex, most internationally uh, diversified across many brands company that requires very skilled operation to deliver the, that EPS and to deliver the quality and you're dealing with food and safety. And I mean, there's a tremendously complex supply chain. And so you are, you can't be a fly by night, uh, crazy dreamer entrepreneur type, but at the same time, if you're overly bureaucratic, you talked about your love of bureaucracy and you're too much of maybe a finance spreadsheet process oriented executive, then you're going to stifle the company. And so how do I, if I said, geez, I would love to be able to have that amazing mix that David seems to have found between wide-eyed, big idea, crazy entrepreneur, and at the same time, hey, we got EPS to deliver. Yeah. Well, I think it didn't doesn't happen overnight. You know, you have to grow into all these things. You know, I started out in marketing, and then I realized very quickly, I did a little self-coaching that... I, I had to be more than just an airy fairy marketing guy. Uh, and that, you know, I, I knew that that was uh, a challenge because people, I was very different and, you know, PepsiCo was very blue suit, you know, red tie, white shirt, you know, my shirt tail is always out and it was very MBA and I didn't have an MBA. And, you know, so it was like, you know, I was sort of like a, a duck out of water, if that little phrase, you know? And so, so, but I realized that, I, man, I had to demonstrate that I was more of the marketing guy. So I begged to get the chief operating officer job so I could show that people that I could work with bottling plants in the front line. And so I broadened my experience base. And that gave me a great appreciation for process and discipline that you, that you, you have to have. Um, but my core strength uh, was always understanding the customer, always being you know, a, a, a absolute maniac on on understanding the customer and figuring out what we need to do to get better on that front. And that's from my marketing background. But, you know, I went to finance for non-financial executives. I went, you know, I, I went to communication school to learn how to speak better. I, I, I did all these kinds of things that I, but because I was constantly sharpening the ax, okay? But in the end, you know, when it comes to finance, I had to have a great CFO. If it comes to legal, I needed a great chief legal counsel. You know, I needed that kind of capability around me because I was never going to know that part of the business as well as they did. Now, I learned how to be a great salesman of the financial concepts. I mean, I could talk to Wall Street about what we were trying to do, why we were doing it. You know, I got everybody focused on same store sales growth, new units, return on invested capital. I got everybody understanding what drives our stock and all that kind of stuff, because I, I could see the big picture 
on all these things. But give me a spreadsheet and I'm going to gag. Okay, that, you know, I wouldn't know how to do that. But I but I but I had people that did do it. And see, when you're a CEO, you have the luxury of having a lot of talent around you. When you're running a startup, okay, you got to end up doing almost all that stuff yourself at the beginning. Okay. But I was more of a corporate manager that had an entrepreneurial bent. You know, and uh, you know, so yeah, I I but I think that that entrepreneurialism came from my zeal for the the customer. And it's, yeah, it's so interesting. You know, everybody wants to talk about their solutions and they forget that customers only buy solutions if they have problems. Yeah. And, you know, I talk to young marketing people about this all the time. And I say, well, if, if, if your CMO isn't spending a disproportionate amount of time with customers, you're in a lot of trouble. That CMO should know customers forwards and backwards. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you one story. I know we're about ready to wrap this up, but I got as much time Uh, in the world for you. (laughs) But but here's a little, you know, marketing insight about what happens when you spend time with customers. When I first went to be president of KFC, they had about 1800 buffet stores. Okay. And we had about 5,500 stores and the buffet was, you know, mainly in rural America. And so I wanted to learn about buffets. The not the top buffet that we had in the country was this guy in Clinton, Arkansas. Yes, there is a Clinton, Arkansas. His name is Billy Ball. Okay. But he had the best buffet. So I said, Billy, I'm going to come down and see you. And I want to learn about how you do buffets. So I go into the store and he's got this little old lady there in the front, you know, you know, taking care of that buffet and making sure everything's clean and it's, you know, it's fresh. And, at the end of the buffet is where the chicken bin was. And the chicken bin was filled way above the rim, way above the rim. So I'm going, oh, this guy's trying to snow me, okay? Guy's coming in from, you know, corporate, you know. And I said, Billy, come on. I'm, I want to learn how you do this, but you got all that chicken piled up so high, that's crazy. Because, you know, and he said, David, he said, I watch my customers all the time. And you know what I've learned is that when I got that buffet tray full of chicken and that they take fewer pieces of chicken because they know they can come back and get more. So what he did was he got people to fill up on the jello and the corn and the mashed potatoes and all the, 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 the low food cost items. Okay. And by the time they got the chicken, there was so much chicken there. They, he would, they'd only take one or two pieces. And the big thing that you, you, you wanted to drive the biggest driver of profitability in the buffet is the piece count because the protein is the most expensive part of the buffet. So if you can get people to take fewer pieces of chicken, okay, you're going to make a lot more money. Well, this guy did this because he watched customers. He saw what they did. Okay. And you know, that was the, that was the thing that really, Drove drove that that business, and that's a great story because the best entrepreneurs, the best franchisees, the best marketing people watch customers and see what they actually do. You know, Pan Pizza was a huge product success at at uh, Pizza, and it basically gave us the differentiation we need in a very you know commoditized category. But we used we started out we had a thin crust original pizza, okay, and you, you know what? 
the people were watching what was happening in terms of how people eat the pizza. And you know what was always left on the plate? The crust, the bones. They called yeah. it the bones. Okay. So we developed pan pizza with a buttery crust. And we knew we had a home run when everybody ate the crust because it tasted so good. You know, it was butter fried. You know, it was just unbelievably good. <laughs> and that was a home run. And then we developed stuffed crust pizza. And that insight came from noticing that people weren't because, eating the crust. Yeah. Right, so you're like, we right, got to make the crust right. taste so good they eat everything. Right. And then we knew that there was an opportunity to make the crust even taste better when we did stuffed crust pizza and we put the cheese in. That I remember when you did that. <laughs> 25% sales. I mean, 25% like what, David? Sales growth. Same store sales growth in, in the first couple months we When launched you put that. the cheese in the crust. And, yeah, and said, eat it backwards. You know, we had a great advertising campaign. We actually had Donald Trump and Ivana Trump. Oh, okay, you did not. That's great. Yeah, we did. Yeah, they, they were arguing about the best way to eat a pizza. And, oh, it'd be great uh, to have him back in some Yum Brands ads now. Yeah, I don't think so, man. You don't want to touch him with it uh, with, with too much. Oh, it'd be hysterical too, to get like too divisive. The to get him and Barack right Obama now. in the same ad or something. <laughs> there you go. Now that'll work. That'll work. That'll work. You got to get them both in there. But it's just amazing how many of these growth opportunities sometimes just hide in plain sight. Yeah, yeah, but you got to have your lookout. You got to be on the lookout for them. Yes. You know. Now, David, I, I could talk to you forever. I do want to be super respectful of your time. Um, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? No, I, I'm, I'm enjoyed this very much. You know, I, I, I do think that, you know, we've, we've launched this book. It's doing extremely well. We've had a lot of companies roll it out. Wells Fargo, uh, Dick Sporting Goods, Kendra, Scott, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of great companies, Comcast, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, a lot of companies have, have really gotten behind it because they know that they they want to help their people be more accountable for for uh, becoming all they can be. And you know, I really encourage people if you're if you, if you want some insight on on how to take your performance to the next level to check this book out because it's not a book that you know we we just tell you what to do. I mean, we put you to work. I mean, literally. I mean, you can read the book from front to back and it's a fun book. It's got good stories and everything. But what makes this book powerful is we 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 teach you how to do joy blockers. We teach you how to do joy builders. We teach you how to figure out what your single biggest thing is. We teach you all those things that people are struggling with. We teach you how to do it. And and uh, you know, it's everything that I I've ever learned about coaching and everything that my co-writer uh, Jason Goldsmith, who's a sports performance coach, has ever learned about coaching. And we did it together, and it's very unique and, and different. Well, thank you for being such a legendary Obi-Wan, fast <laughs> on the path to uh, to Yoda status, um, David. Yeah. And um, I really do appreciate your work very much. I think um, anybody who's making a difference in entrepreneurship and self-development and self-responsibility, uh, particularly at this moment in history, uh, and you have an incredibly unique background to uh, to make that difference. I also want to let you know you're welcome back anytime. I'd love to have you back on any, yeah, anything you ever want to talk about. All right. Well, I enjoyed it very much and I appreciate everything you're doing. You know, I think we're all trying to make the world a better place uh, by developing people. If we can all help a little bit, then who knows, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We're doing the best we can. And uh, by the way, 
growing ourselves as we do it. It's it kind of comes back at, back to you as well. So, well, isn't you know, that an interesting part? I mean, uh, remind me again, David, how long you've been podcasting? Uh, let's see, probably about five or six years. Yeah. yeah, which is about the same time for me. And uh, your podcast makes a big difference in your life, doesn't it? Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, I, uh, yesterday I did uh, Roger Goodell. Uh, to, tomorrow I have uh, Mark Irwin, who's the, uh, he was the, the the head of Delta Force, you know, which is the number one elite fighting machine in, 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 our, in yep. our country. And now he's the CEO of Bargetown Bourbon. So we're going to talk a little, uh, you know, military and bourbon with him. And, hey, uh, tell him to send me a drink, you would know? you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I have, you know, it's fun. My I got a who's who list on how leaders lead. I mean, it is a, you know, great podcast, just like yours, where I bring in the top leaders, uh, everybody from, you know, Jamie Dimon to Kendra Scott to Bobby Brown to, you know, Marvin Ellison at Lowe's to, you know, Ken Langone, Home Depot founder, just amazing people. Isn't it a great excuse to have a conversation with somebody you Uh, respect? I love it. I love it. It's just like, it's been fun for me, you know, to have this conversation with you and uh, thank you for having such good questions and I wish you all the best. Thank you, David. Okay. Talk to you. And now there he is, the legendary David Novak. His new book is out. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's called Take Charge of You, How Self-Coaching Can Transform Your Life and Your Career. And if you enjoyed this conversation with David, please consider sharing this podcast with somebody in your life or everybody in your life who you think will benefit from David's wisdom. And please know that we deeply appreciate all of your social media tweets and shares and LinkedIn's and Facebook's and all of those things. So if you're compelled, please share this episode on social media right now. All right. We would like to thank you. Thank you again for your time and attention. It means the world to all of us around here. My friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org are the nonprofit that helps people dream, plan, and live their best life. And, and One Life has a special new program called the One Life Roadmap. And that has been tailored for people who need the most help in our world. Uh, People getting out of jail, people coming out of homelessness, people um, uh, coming out of addictions of one sort or another, or anybody trying to make a radical transformation in their life. And One Life provides the One Life Roadmap for free. And the reason they can provide it for free is because you and I wrote write checks. And I just wrote them a very large check to continue the powerful work of One Life Fully Lived. So I encourage you to go to the number one, lifefullylived.org, crack open your wallet and make a donation because now more than ever, those of us who can throw down a rope need to. My friends at Hallow App are the world's first real life network. We all know that social media is where fake life happens. Hallow App is where we share our real life with our real friends. No algorithms in real privacy. Check out H-A-L-L-O-A-P-P.com today. That's Hallow App. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided just solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And it contains uh, content known to the state of California to cause radically different thinking and extreme result production. All rights do remain perturbed. We're produced and edited by the GOAT, Jason DeFilippo. And if you want to do legendary podcasting, he's got a new studio in the Los Angeles area. Check out Jason.FYI. That's Jason.FYI. Sarah Knox and Jamie Day do legendary technical execution around here, and they build Lockhead.com. GM Simon does our show notes. The Bobus Brothers 
RJ and EX do our web development, and Cedric Biros does our graphic design. Our law firm, as always, is Weed and Jack, and our accounts are clearly three balance sheets to the wind. Remember to spread non-obvious thinking. Please be kind and rewind before you uh, bring this uh, tape back to the store. Uh, don't be lame. Get out of the uh, passing lane. And, and Look, I live in California. We got a lot of Prius drivers out here, and we got a lot of Tesla drivers out here. And I love all you people. You just need to get out of the left-hand lane. Dolly Parton was right. Listen to the Ramones. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Scott O'Malonic, editor of Inc. Magazine. Sorry, Scotty. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>